You are listening to Radio Ramadan 365 Podcasts. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You are listening to the Ask the Sheikh program. Uh, the Ask the Sheikh program goes out every Monday to Thursday, 6 to 7 o'clock in the evening. And it's the English version. And then for the rest of the week, there's an Urdu equivalent. My name is Zubair and I'm here on Radio Ramadan 365, 87.7 FM. And we're also on 1530 medium wave and digital radio as well. Now, our guest today is Sheikh Radwan Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah, Sheikh. Alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Sheikh Radwan is a Sunni theologian and scholar. He graduated from the University of Glasgow and then he traveled to the um, Muslim world where he studied Islamic law and the Sharia in, in, for a number of years. Uh, and then he came back in the summer of 2009 and co-founded the Solas Foundation. And you might well know him as one of the lecturers and the director of the iSyllabus Studies program. Uh, Sheikh, we're going to talk about the Zakat today. And <clears throat> it's a very complicated, uh, it can be very complicated. And I think a lot of people have a lot of questions, especially at this time of the year in Ramadan when people are planning to pay their Zakat. So as an introduction, if you can give us a basic definition of what Zakat is, what the Nisab is, and how someone would go around uh, calculating that for themselves. Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. <clears throat> and the thing about um, zakat is, obviously you said it, it, can, it is difficult to calculate, or it can be difficult to calculate. The, the issue of zakat is actually essentially that it is actually very simple. It's a very simple concept. Um, because the Prophet sent a very close companion of his, Mu'ad ibn Jabal, to, to Yemen to collect, in fact, to be the governor and the qadi, the judge, to a specific tribe. <clears throat> and the Prophet said to him, take the wealth from the rich people and give it to the poor people. Essentially, it's transferring wealth from um, people that have, the haves to the have-nots. It's a very simple thing. So nobody, you don't need knowledge in rocket science to understand that's a very basic concept. Mm -hmm. And then <clears throat> if you ask the details, you're probably saying, well, 2.5% of wealth that you have, you give to um, the poor person. Now, The point at which it becomes, um, you know, something you have to ask about is when you say, okay, what is wealth? And then the second thing will be, well, who's the person that can receive it? So essentially there's two questions there, which is, at what point do I have to give zakat? And then once you've got the money that you have to give, that you, and you're considered to be somebody that gives um, zakat to somebody else, who's the person that can receive it? And that's the two big problems that people have. They don't know whether they're eligible to give it. And usually what I've noticed is that they give it to people who are not eligible to receive it. So it's actually very simple. Mm -hmm. So the details are in who's eligible to receive it and who's the person that is um, essentially deserving of um, paying it as well. So this um, zakat is defined as being the transfer of wealth ownership. So basically giving money to somebody else. Mm -hmm. um, and essentially it's giving it to... Um, the person that gives it is a person that is above the nisab. And Nisab will talk about it in a minute. Mm -hmm. And the money is given to, in terms of ownership, given to somebody who is a non-Hashimi, in other words, not from the Prophet, who is in a state of poverty or need. That's the basic definition. So moving money from one person to another is a basic thing. Now, if you look at the perspective of the person paying it, the big word that comes up there is Nisab. Nisab just simply means a benchmark. Mm -hmm. You know, basic, simple benchmarks through which you can tell whether you're considered to be somebody who should or shouldn't pay zakat. <clears throat> and the way we calculate that is basically you accumulate all of your wealth, um, right. which means that, you know, you've got money in the bank, you've got, you may have shares, you might have, um, you know, things that you have, have a shop, for example, or a, a, a business which sells commodities. And um, mm -hmm. you take stock of what that is. And since you collect all the wealth that you have, which is excess, which is, liquid assets, which you can easily turn into gold or silver or, or, or currency like pounds or dollars. Mm -hmm. And then what you do is you pay 2.5% of that on that um, amount, full amount. Okay. So the, the, the devil's in the details, as they say. You right. know, so and what, what how would you be the, how would you calculate the Nisab? Is the Nisab set by, um, how, is, how is that set in the UK, for example? So Nisab is basically, at the time the Prophet said, the, the Nisab was set up based on two criteria, either gold or silver. So mm -hmm. if you had, say, 20 gold coins, you would be above Nisab. So this is 20 gold coins and above, which a gold coin at that time was about 35 pounds. 
Um, and if you had 200 gold silver coins, that would be considered above the nisab. So people usually don't have gold and silver. They do, it's kind of for jewelry. So what we do is we kind of approximate what the price of gold and silver is into pounds or dollars, whatever it is. So basically, you know, nowadays you're looking at the, the fact that the nisab is, you know, above 2,000 um, pounds in terms of gold. If you want to take the gold standard, if you want to take the silver standard, then it's going to be, you know, much less, roughly about 400. Um, so it fluctuates. The thing is, it fluctuates every, every year it fluctuates and <clears throat> it's very difficult to, um, you know, understand exactly what the nisab is. So, for example, like, you know, I've got, you know, when I did my syllabus notes, we had, we calculated the zakat nisab at that time, which was roughly about 2013, I think it was. And it was roughly 3,000 pounds because the, the, the gold price at that time was 33 pounds per gram. And therefore, you just multiply that up to the number of um, gold grams, which, which at that time came to around 3,000 pounds. In terms mm. of silver, it came to 400. So essentially what we're seeing is in Britain, you have essentially a choice. Mm -hmm. um, and that choice is either to go with a gold or silver standard. You have a choice of either or. If you go with the gold standard, obviously you have to be much, you have, you have to have more money in the bank, which mm -hmm. is free to use for you to have nisab. So if you had 3,000 pounds sitting in the bank, which has been there for a whole year, which is another issue of, of the zakat, which is you have to have the money in excess for a whole year, then you would pay zakat on whatever it is. So say you've got 70,000 um, pounds accumulated over different types of things. Mm -hmm. You've had that for a year without it going below that. You'd pay 2.5% of that. Why do you do that? Because it's above nisab. It's way above 3,000 pounds. But you can also right. take, I mean, some scholars make the benchmark less. They say it's about 400 pounds um, because this is take the silver standard, which means basically if you had 400 pounds over, you know, excess wealth over the year, you would pay 2.5% of the whole amount. Okay. So essentially the big crux is how do you calculate if you're over nisab? So nisab is, you know, fluctuating every year, but we know what it is. You know, every day we'll, we'll kind of have an update on what the kind of, price for gold is or silver is mm -hmm. your issue is you know first of all what do you choose as your standard and that's you've basically per perfectly free to choose whichever you want mm -hmm. and the second thing is that um you have to then calculate how much wealth you have which is a kind of big issue and there are um, there are <coughs> calculators online um for a number of charities and things like for example islamic relief i know uh, penny appeal they all have uh, zakat calculators do you, would you trust those ca calculators is that some is that one way that people can uh, can calculate their own zakat um yeah generally they are i mean the, the, i know that the, the, the charities um solicit scholars to make up the kind of um the way that they calculate it and essentially is um you know categories you put in your wealth for so you know i know national zakat foundation i know the islamic relief and penny appeal they're kind of the standard um program that they use is basically the same it's not, there's not much difference in terms of how they do that which means you just put in your your figures how much money do you have in the bank do you have any shares if the shares are for investment or if they're for short-term selling um, in terms of what gold and silver you have if you've got stock in your shop what's the price of that in terms of value so you'd put all that in and, and the other thing would be just choose which standard you want to go by would you want to go by the gold or silver Okay. And so, so, I mean, the question is that that's, it's not difficult. It's just that you need to know mm -hmm. what you need to pay the cat for and what you don't have to. So, for example, if I said to you, you have to pay the cat, you could be sitting there in your house and looking around your room and then you've got, say, a really lovely piece of artwork, which is like 400, pounds, say, mm -hmm. and you've got a carpet, which is like 3,000 pounds, and then you're looking outside into the driver, you've got a car mm -hmm. you've bought and you've paid for. And then you're looking around your, you know, kind of espresso coffee machine, which is 500 pounds. You know, people go crazy and they think, oh my goodness, I have to pay the cat on that. And if I can't, you know, so is it, the, real, the real question is, what are the things you don't have to pay the cat for? And essentially, right. don't pay the cat on things that are for personal use. Right. That's it. So, uh, so uh, uh, you know, a, a, a frame or a, a picture, mm. a carpet or a car, that's all for personal use. You know, you've got a coffee machine, doesn't matter how expensive it is, it's for personal use. 
So right. personal use items are not something you take into consideration. What you take into consideration is basically, you know, liquid assets, basic simple things of cash in hand, mm-hmm. um, shares that you have, you know, rental income from a property you're renting out, um, wages that are coming in. So those kind of things are basically what you're going to have a look at. <clears throat> Brilliant. Okay. So we are listening to the Ask the Sheikh program. We have Sheikh Radwan Muhammad with us today and we're talking about zakat. If there's any questions that you'd like to ask either about zakat or any other topic, uh, then you can either get in touch with us through Facebook or you can email us or you can tweet us. And what we'll do is we'll collate all your questions together and inshallah on the next opportunity we'll ask uh, one of our guests that comes on the show. So we're talking about zakat. We've talked about the definition of zakat and the nisab. Uh, one thing, uh, Sheikh, is there's a series of questions that have been posted by people who have been listening into the show previously and also uh, things that have been texted in over the recent weeks. One of the questions was uh, quite particular. So there's a, a friend who has... Um, money that he wants to give as zakat from his family members in the UK uh, to other family members back in Pakistan who he feels um, you know are, need the money and of course he wants to give his zakat to uh, people that he knows so is he first of all allowed to give money to uh, family members um, you know how, how would he go about deciding to give his zakat like that is it allowed mm. yeah so just for answer that question I'll check quickly the um the nisab amount for um, you know today basically, so you can you can see the thing I was mentioning about <clears throat> the fluctuations are quite significant. If you look at gold's prices now, mm-hmm. um, you know 2013 when I when I wrote the notes for the course I syllabus course, the nisab was around 2,900, mm-hmm. based upon I think 3.33 pounds per gram. Today the price is 44 pounds per gram, which means the nisab in gold will be I'd imagine about three thousand eight hundred so pounds. More, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So, so basically, what you're saying is the nisab. If you got that or above, mm-hmm. and look at the other one, silver. <clears throat> the nisab, when I calculated it for the notes, was about four hundred. Now it's two hundred and thirty-nine, two hundred forty. Mm-hmm. So you see the fluctuation. Silver prices is is not um, very stable. Gold prices are stable, which is why I always recommend to go with a gold nisab in terms of your your nisab for zakat. Because mm-hmm. that amount is very close to what it would have been <clears throat> at the time the process. I mean, was that, that's the kind of level of wealth, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of buying power that you wouldn't expect um, to have been the case at the time of the process. Okay. So that's that. So the question about giving zakat to your family members, the process mm-hmm. recommended that you do start with family members in terms of giving zakat because you have the reward of two things. One is of alleviate, alleviate, alleviating poverty. And the other thing is about about helping a ne- the, the next of kin or a person who's from your own filial um, line in terms of your family. So unless the person is specifically um, ruled out for receiving zakat, which is basically your your son, grandson, downwards, or your father, grandfather, upwards, um, or your spouse, basically your brother, your sister, cousins, nephews, nieces, uncles, all these people are eligible and probably more eligible than other people. Um, you know, so that's the, that's the kind of basic kind of thing about um, giving. You can give and you should give. <clears throat> the only issue is obviously about <clears throat> um, their eligibility in terms of their poverty. Mm-hmm. So this is the thing that I think a lot of people neglect and they, they kind of pass over and then they don't really pay much attention to is the person that receives a cat has to be in need and that doesn't just mean that they're, they feel that they're a bit tight on money. Mm-hmm. It means that, you know, in the Hanafi schools, it's slightly strict. So I, I kind of, um, generally, the Hanafi school on this is, 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 is slightly strict. So kind of, I, I kind of sometimes recommend that look, people look at other options, possibly. Um, mm-hmm. Because the Hanafi school says that there's a, a type of nisab, which is for the person receiving zakat, which is basically if the person has, you know, we talked about personal items, of personal use mm-hmm. like you've got in your house you've got all these things that you've got the Hanafi school basically says that if, if, the, if the price or the, the value of those things is above nisab then you can't receive zakat so basically that's kind of a okay. game changer because it means like say you're, you're, you've lost your job mm-hmm. and you have no cash in hand and you've got you know difficulty buying groceries for your family but you're living in your house mm-hmm. um, and you, you own the house for example and you've got 
you've got sofas, you've got carpets, you've got the normal stuff that people have in their houses. Mm-hmm. You could sell, I mean, you know, imagine a, a plaintiff or um, a debt collector coming in and, and valuing all your items to sell. If they came in and valued that, they would say, well, that's, this is about four, £4,000, £5,000 on auction. Technically, in Hanafi school, you, wouldn't, you can't just give a cat to somebody like that, even though they're finding difficult to buying food. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're just looking at the fact you've got a car, you've got, all these, you've got these kind of items in your house, you can't receive it. So mm-hmm. the other schools are a bit more lenient. They look at the issue of poverty more than the issue of the items that they have. So that is the thing that if you're very strict and you're following the Hanafi school, you should keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. So some people are quite strict and, 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 and like to keep within a school of law um, you know, you know, regardless of extenuating circumstances, I think in that situation, I would be a bit more um, wary of that and just be aware that there's other options. If a person's genuinely in need and they're a family member, I would definitely prefer that to giving it to somebody else, even though the need may be greater. Mm-hmm. I think the issue of, you know, societies are built upon family units and it's important mm-hmm. to have strong family units and, and close family units. Um, so Zakat is one of the ways that you do that. Okay, we're talking about Zakat today, and I've got a special guest, uh, Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad, who'll be answering your questions. Uh, one question that came up, Sheikh, is about the fact that somebody who's, who's written in to say that they've never paid Zakat before, um, so they've only started practicing recently, and they've realized that they have to pay their Zakat. So how do they pay their historical Zakat, uh, and is it due, and does it, is it, are they eligible to pay it? And how do they go about calculating uh, years? Um, I'm not, I mean, it's not specified how many years, but uh, mm. say, for example, they've missed X number of years. How do they go around calculating how much they got to pay? Yeah, so, I mean, it's good that somebody's come forward and, and, and said that because essentially is, you know, zakat is one of these things which is the right of the poor, you know. So we should always think of it as the fact that it's something we should have done. And it's, it's not just like taxation. So people, some people start arguing that, you know, they've got, pay taxes and that goes to x y and z remember taxes go to so many different things i mean you can't really correspond it to being social welfare because if your zakat was going to social welfare needs that would be different but what happens is your sorry your your taxes your taxes go to so many different areas which are unrelated and sometimes probably not not permissible to give to directly you Mm -hmm. know so that's the thing that people need to think about as well so it's good that the person thinking thinking in that sense of of paying for previous years the important thing is obviously think that this is a right of the poor that you need to it's a debt that you owe to the poor that you have to give the only um question the person has to ask is how long has it been and to what degree do they have knowledge of their finances and because of is is it's a it's a old historical kind of debt um, the degree to which you need to be meticulous and calculate it is not as much as you if you were doing it for this year so, I mean, if you look at the, the you know, you would look at um, income tax and, you know, if say that somebody was negligent and in paying income tax in the, in the past, the, the tax office wouldn't, wouldn't really care about being very precise. It would, it would put a ballpoint figure towards the person saying, well, you've missed these years. This is what we think you should pay. Generally in Zakat, you do that because there's all these principles in Islamic law that talk about um, approximation and, such as um, difficulty will allow you to facilitate and make easy things, make, make things easy for people. So the difficulty of going back and checking and, and, and going through accounts and checking what you owe and what you didn't, and then what effect that would have on each year going on, it's actually beyond what the Sharia would want you to do. So essentially okay. what you're doing is a process of approximation, a ballpoint approximation. Like if you're earning a certain amount this year and you think roughly this is what I always used to earn, you know, fluctuates five, two, three, five thousand a year. Generally, I'm doing the same. That's your ballpoint, basically. So you have to go back and say you, 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 you kind of, you're a Muslim from such and such a year and, and, and mature and eligible to pay. You calculate for each of those years. That's okay. the simplest thing you can do. Because very few people are in a situation where there's massive fluctuations in wealth accumulation. Mm-hmm. You know, most people are basically in a profession or they have a business which is fairly steady. It brings in steady income. That's basically what you're looking at. Any anomalies like, see, you come into inheritance wealth mm-hmm. or, you know, you get married in, 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 in Qatar and you get a massive dowry. 
in that case, obviously, that like like five hundred thousand pounds you get for your dowry is going to make a massive impact in historical zakat payments. <laughs> but the point is, you probably have that. So the thing is, there's very few anomalies that you have mm-hmm. um, in, in your life, which means that you 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 you're outside the norm of what you what you earn. So it's quite easy. You approximate approximate, approximate. ballpoint every year. Yeah. Okay, we're talking to Sheikh Adwan Muhammad about zakat and going through different scenarios and questions. If you have any questions or comments on any topic that we might be covering in the next few weeks, and we'll be covering and speaking to a number of shiokh, then just send in your questions or points you'd like to make through Facebook or Twitter, or you can email us, and we'll collate them together. And like I said before, we will then pose them to the next person that we, that we speak to on the Ask the Sheikh program. Uh, Sheikh, talking about zakat then, there's a person who's saying that they have a collection of watches uh, that's something mm. that they've had a hobby for many, many years. Uh, they also have a YouTube channel in which they review the watches and so forth. Um, he's asking in particular about uh, those watches. So he, he doesn't use them as such um, because he keeps them um, just, you know, safe in his house uh, all year long. And the value of the watches is quite, is quite high. So does he pay zakat on those? So the issue is simply, I mean, the thing about um, zakat is a lot of the issues related to zakat are based on intention. And that's between you and God. So, you know, if you've got something and the purpose for that is, say, a hobby, even if it's expensive, um, it wouldn't necessarily entail the payment of zakat. Um, and so this is, you know, modern scholars that have a whole discussion about this and um, you know, some would veer towards the fact you should, some, some would veer towards the fact you shouldn't. But I think the whole issue is about whether the person's collection is, you know, there for investment and therefore sale at some point or not. So basically, that's the, it comes down to that crux. What's their intention? Is their intention in, in collecting and then to, and to selling this, this item or these items? Or is it the fact that they just collect them as a hobby? And mm-hmm. that would basically... Because at the end of the day, <clears throat> think about it, you know, that wealth, you know, no one lives forever. And when the person passes away, the inheritance of that will be inherited by somebody. And at some point they will sell that. And when they sell it, they'll pay zakat on it. So somewhere down the line, somebody ends up paying zakat on it. And, um, you know, it's like having a car collection as well. So you've got antique cars in the garage. You just, you know, you don't use them that, that much. It's essentially very similar in terms of you know um, what you do, and that's why even in, in terms of um, you know scholars, they say that books are also similar nature. In the Hanafi school, like books, if you've got books and you're not using them and they're, and they're way above the nisab value, you should be paying zakat on them if you don't use them. So they're just like kind of useless to you. They're just there, and you should be making use of them and and, and having um, a constant reference to them. So that's one of the ways that you avoid you know paying zakat if you open your book your books up if you're a scholar. Um, so generally, it's one of those things that you know, scholars have, have discussed and debated, because on the, on the face of it, it's wealth. On the face of it, it's, it's money and it's, it's saleable. But generally, they do come to, down to, on the side of the fact that if it's for trade and sale, and you've got them with, this, with the intention of selling at some point, then you do pay as account on it. If you're not, if it's just a kind of collection for hobby, then it's not that. That's not the case. Okay, and there's another question about um, the minimum age of zakat. So, for example, a friend has uh, two, three children who are in their late teens now. So mm. wh- at what point do you start paying zakat? So zakat is an individual um, worships like fasting and praying, going to the Hanafi school. So basically what they say is the moment that you have to pray and fast, you also have to pay zakat, meaning the person themselves. So they have to be mature enough um, in terms of you know physical maturity to be able to pray and fast, at that point it's it's their responsibility. Correctly speaking, they should be taught about zakat at that point by their parents, mm-hmm. and then they should be paying zakat. So the the child by the moment the moment that they're hit puberty, they should they're eligible to be giving zakat if they have wealth. So essentially, okay. it's their responsibility. So it's more of a question of coming of age. More mm-hmm. of a question of responsibility. And obviously, most parents would think, well, until they're 19, 20, 21, or they've got married, I'm responsible for them. That's like a very cultural way of looking at things. So mm-hmm. that's like culture really does affect Islam in our communities quite a lot. And one of the ways is this of empowering and making children come of age so that they know the responsibility of, 
of praying, fasting, but also zakat. Well, so they need to be able to be literate mm-hmm. over money. They need to be money literate, and then they should actually act upon that as well. So that's so the age. Have, I mean, maturity. Yeah. So, yeah. so if you have, uh, say, you have savings accounts for your children, and uh, you're hoping that you know the money accumulates and you can save it and keep it separate from other expenses and stuff, so that when they hit a certain age, maybe going to university or college or something, they can then use those funds. Um, so mm. what if there's money for your children? So the zakat is then, I mean, zakat is still eligible for zakat then? Yes, yeah, so the only issue is in the Hanafi school, they look at maturity and then they look at zakat. So basically, if you're mature, and, and meaning mature, meaning physically mature, age of puberty, mm-hmm. you're responsible to pay zakat. Um, you meaning the child who's come of age. The other schools actually don't say that. The other schools actually say if, you've got the, if somebody's got money, even if it's a child, even if it's one-year-old, two-year-old, if they own wealth in their name in a bank account, the parents have to pay zakat for them. So the Maliki Shafi, Hanbali school, they all have the opinion that if somebody's got excess wealth of nisab over a year um, and it's not fluctuating underneath that, then they have to pay the zakat on that. The parents in that case would pay if they're too young if the child reaches puberty, the child pays themselves. So nothing's, you know, you know, if in either situation, if it's above the nisab and the person is eligible according to that school, they do have to pay it. Mm-hmm. And regardless of why it's being saved, even if it's like for school fees or university or whatever it is, essentially it's 2.5. It's not, it's not going to decrease the wealth in a substantial way. Um, so that's, mm-hmm. a, that's a right of the poor and it should be given. Okay, Jazakallah Khair. Again, we're listening to Sheikh Rabban Muhammad and we are covering zakat today. So questions uh, relating to zakat. If you have any questions or points on any other topics, then do get in touch with us. You can either Facebook us, you can tweet us, uh, or you can email into Radio Ramadan 365. So Sheikh, there's a question here about donating towards a particular uh, thing. So for example, um, if there was a Muslim school that was being built, like or an orphanage that's being built, or a water well that's being built, say somewhere in Africa or uh, India, Pakistan, are you allowed to give your zakat money towards a particular project such as that? So it really depends on the project. These are all kind of collective projects, and um, the issue about collective projects is you have to, at the very least, ensure that the people receiving it. And the people that are that are gaining benefit from it are individually eligible to receive zakat. So, what that basically means is, mm-hmm. zakat has to be given from a person to a person. So that's the basic principle. Now, if you have an institution like a hospital, which specifically caters for people that are in need, and you know the the basic premise of their opening is the fact that these people, the only people that come to it are people that would be deserving of zakat anyway. Like there's the kind of hand-to-mouth kind of cases of people in specific countries. You don't then have to worry about individual people because the basic rule is that only people who we know would deserve zakat actually go to that kind of hospital, go to that kind of school, use that kind of well. Um, that would be sufficient. Mm-hmm. You know, so even though you're not individually giving to a person, you're giving to an institution which is then giving that out to people in that in that type of need and it's a basic need necessity mm-hmm. so it's not like a like medical expenses are, are a necessity mm-hmm. food is a necessity water is a necessity so it's not as if what you're giving is kind of you know um, a voucher to buy electrical goods or something you know it's not as if you set up a specific you know kind of you know, business which gives out vouchers for people poor people to buy you know mobile phones for example you know, so it's, 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 a, it's an essential need. And therefore, not those kind of situations, it's permissible. But it's not permissible if it's just for generally for a school or if it's generally just to build a hospital or generally just to build a well. Because the people coming there and using it may end up being, the vast majority of being people that actually don't receive zakat anyway. Mm-hmm. Or the people that get educated, there are people that their parents could easily pay for their education or the food that's being given out or the education that's been given, you know, all these things. Mm-hmm. If there's any kind of doubt about that, you shouldn't give it. But if it's earmarked specifically for poor people mm-hmm. in poor areas of, of the world, where you, you are clear that the vast majority of those are receiving zakat, then it's perfectly okay. Because 
in 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 fiqh you have this principle that the majority is given the ruling of the of the whole. In other words, if most or the majority of people that do something have a specific ruling, then you just ex- extend that to everybody that uses it. So, say for example, for argument's sake, you have a hundred people, two or three of them didn't deserve a cat. Yeah. It would still be okay because the vast majority of them do. Right. And so, if a couple if a couple people fall through the through the net and they get through and they don't deserve a cat, that's that's considerably insignificant. Okay. Because it's also okay. more efficient as well. I mean, that's probably more efficient as a way of giving zakat as well. But okay. the question, the, the point about giving it to families is important, I think, here, which is knowing who you're giving it to, which is problem nowadays. A lot of people, they give zakat to large charities because they don't know individual cases that they can give it to themselves. And therefore, they're looking for the, the charity to earmark um, the wealth to people that the charity knows deserves zakat. Excellent. And there's a question also about student loans or I'm assuming it's any kind of loan. Um, if you do have loans that you are paying back or you're planning to pay back, is that subtra- subtracted from your wealth when you're doing your zakat calculation or how does that work? Mm. Yeah, so student loans are, are actually different from other loans. Um, mm-hmm. So if the question is about student loans, that's, um, that's different because... Um, the nature of student loans is such that it's very difficult to argue clearly that they're loans because of the type of, type of preferential conditions attached to them. So, mm-hmm. you know, loans usually are, in Islamic law are loans which are payable without any conditions that are beneficial to the person learn, um, uh, kind of gaining from it. So, for example, the student will gain from the loan because they don't have to pay it until they reach a certain amount of income. Mm-hmm. Um, from my understand, also a student who has a student loan doesn't have to pay for it if they come into money from, say, um, something like inheritance or, you know, they give somebody gives them a massive amount of as a gift. Like the loan payment is re- is related specifically to your salary, and so that's related to your, your to your um, you know personal income in terms of salary or your self-employment status. And so that means that the student loan situation is slightly different. Um, um, you know, th- that's more to do with whether it's permissible or not. So that's, so that's a separate issue. But the point is, say, for example, you've taken a student loan out and now you have to pay back a certain amount. So what you do there is that, is that becomes a standard loan in which, in which case you subtract it from your assets. So remember we talked about liquid assets, all the money you have. Before you calculate whether you have nisab, you have to take away what you owe to other people. So whatever you owe um, immediately to individual people or institutions, you subtract that from your total wealth. So say for example, you have say for example you have ten you have ten thousand pounds in assets, but this year you you are due to pay say three thousand pounds in your student loan. You would subtract it from the ten thousand, and you'd be left with seven thousand that you have to pay as a cash on. So that's a basic principle in terms of student loans, and also in terms of then other loans as well. So, for example, you have a personal loan to owe to somebody, mm-hmm. uh, you owe somebody five thousand pounds. You'd also subtract that away from the ten thousand you have, which means you basically have five thousand pounds. And if you've got a mortgage, a long-term um, loan, which is paid in installments, then it's the same principle except that you don't subtract the whole amount you owe, you just subtract what you owe um, that is due right away. Mm-hmm. So usually the month. So the month that you're, you're supposed to pay, usually um, subtract that. Some scholars t- extend it actually to a year. Um, right. And they're both fairly valid. I personally believe that it's, you know, a month's subtraction is better because that's immediately due. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, it, it, you know, defaulting in that payment has a result of the mortgage um, company being able to demand and, and, and charge for that as well. So that's okay. how it works. So basically subtraction of your, of your debts, basically. Okay, JazakAllah khair. Uh, you're listening to the Ask the Sheikh program with Sheikh Radwan Muhammad on Radio Ramadan 365. Uh, we go out every Monday to Thursday, 6 to 7 o'clock in the evening, and we are on 87.7 FM and 15.30 medium wave and digital radio as well. So we've been talking about zakat today. We've covered the definition of zakat, also what the nisab is, 
uh, we've covered a few scenarios and specific scenarios and questions. If you do have anything that you'd like to ask on Zakat or any other topic that we can ask any of our shiuch on our programs in the coming weeks, then do get in touch with us. You can either Facebook or you can tweet us or you can email us, inshallah. As soon as we've got all your questions, we can then pose them at the next uh, opportunity. Sheikh, there's a question here about general Feed the Homeless programs. So obviously in current climate that we're going through, we're going through very difficult times. And there are Feed the Homeless programs across the country. And a lot of them, uh, of course, are um, full of Muslims and non-Muslims who are in need. Can you give your zakat for these kind of programs? Um, so homelessness obviously is, is, a, is, a, is, um, is one of the categories, one of the ca- specific categories mentioned in the Quran in terms of miskin and dhamatraba, which is a miskin is like a person has nothing. And in fact, the Quran describes it as a person in the dust, basically homeless. Homelessness is basically that you're living on the ground. <clears throat> and so faqir is a person who is poor, miskin is a person that's even more poorer because they are destitute as well. Um, so, a priori, a person who is homeless and destitute is immediately deserving of zakat. And then sometimes in some countries you have that coupled with the fact the person is also stateless or is a refugee in terms of the fact that they're away from their homeland, which is another, um, you know, another category of, of person that deserves zakat, which is Ibn Sabil, a traveler. And so you, you find that homelessness... Um, destitution, poverty, and traveling and being somebody who's who's away from their homeland all 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 collect together in, in individuals. So they are deserving of zakat from you know all perspectives. The only thing you have to think about is zakat is a specific type of charity, one of a number of charities that Islam has um, impressed upon its its followers. Zakat is specific, has specific rules. And one of those rules is that um, it is specifically designated for people of the Islamic faith. Um, whereas the other types, and there's other types of you know, wealth, transferal and char- charity, which is such as sadaqa and fisa bilillah, that are actually wider and not restricted to Muslims in terms of its, their recipients. So in terms of zakat, you have to be careful that you know, the, the conditions are met, which means that that, that that specific point has to be kept in mind. Um, but sadaqa, which is general charity, um, is eligible and is recommended for those types of people, um, you know, very clearly. So obviously our questions are about zakat, which is a type of specific worship that is an obligation. Sadaqa is an, is an optional extra, which is rewarding, and, and sometimes scholars say more rewarding than um, the other types um, as well. Okay, just a specific question then, someone who's saying that, uh, say for example there's a labour camp, um, and the question mm. is obviously from the Middle East, but if there's a labour camp and there's a lot of workers working together, um, mm. and they're housed in these kind of basic kind of housing complexes, now say 90% or 99% of them are Muslim, and mm. maybe a few percent of them are not Muslim, would you mm. still be able to then give your zakat? Words, uh, that comes back food. to I kind of answered that in, in in passing when I was talking about um, you know giving zakat to an institution or a school or a, a hospital or mm-hmm. some kind of institution of that nature, where the rule is that not the rule actually the the, the majority overwhelming case would be that it would go to Muslims based on the demographics. Therefore, the 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 the, the anomaly or the the exception is not given any ruling at all. Um, it's almost like it's non-existent. Okay. So basically, that's a sim- there's lots of kind of simple rules of thumb in Islamic law that help us answer that kind of question. Mm-hmm. And that's one of them, which is, you know, the negligible is given no ruling in Islamic law. Okay. <clears throat> you know, so, you know, in, you know it, just, it just comes up again and again where you can't base... Your, your, your kind of actions based upon every single individual case. You would look at the vast majority of situations and, and, and because of the issue of efficiency and alleviating poverty and helping, that's given much, much more precedence and given more importance than you know, the nitty gritty detail of saying, well, you know, that one person at 100 is not technically eligible. Mm-hmm. Well, if you, if you go into that, then you end up not being able to provide for all of them 
So if you think about it, you know, practically, to be mm -hmm. able to get that zakat to individual people, the amount of questioning and and kind of, um, you know, kind of kind of researching that you had to do would mean that you probably end up not helping people. The whole point is alleviating poverty. So mm -hmm. the Islamic law is intelligent enough and wise enough to understand that and has incorporated it into the fact that use your common sense, mm -hmm. which is, it's not, you know, if it was the opposite, which is almost all of them are not technically deserving of zakat, but the opposite, you can't give zakat to them. Right. So it's more about making quick decisions. You know, like charities, they always, you know, say we need to act now. We need to, the reason for that is because sometimes you do need to act right away because you've got a window of opportunity where you can help people. Otherwise, the people have moved on from the specific place they are. It's much more difficult to get to them, much more difficult to get them aid. It's the same thing with these kind of situations. Islamic law is more about alleviating poverty and suffering, not about the technicalities of fiqh. So sometimes what scholars you know, misunderstand is that <clears throat> the technicalities become the be-all be -all and end-all of their fatwa, mm -hmm. which is actually completely against you know, how the Prophet would give legal advice and advice his companions. The common sense approach is to say, that the majority of these people deserve it. Therefore, the efficiency over, overrides the issue of you know, the technical ineligibility of certain individuals. Okay, Jazakallah Khair. We have Sheikh Rizwan Muhammad with us on the Ask the Sheikh program. We're talking about zakat today. If you have any questions about zakat or any other topic, then please do get in touch with us and then we'll make sure that we try and pose it to our next guests. Sheikh, talking about zakat, then you said that uh, people have to individually be eligible to pay their zakat um, once they've had the age of puberty. When there's a husband and wife who have a joint bank account, um, joint to the point where there's only one account, there's only uh, one account that they have money receiving into and also they spend from that. How do you go about separating that? Can you just pay zakat together as a couple? So obviously I wouldn't advise that kind of scenario. <laughs> you know, yeah. At least to disputes. I mean, this, I, I, just, I know it's generally the darn thing in the lovey-dovey days of initial days of marriage, you decide on a, a joint account. Um, Do you have uh, a joint account, Chef? Um, no, I, I have no account. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the point is, uh, yeah, I understand. That's the way that you prove your love to your spouse. So... Um, and it's, it's a very interesting point because it, it does because people do it it mm -hmm. leads to an interesting case um, of what, what your eligibility for zakat is essentially what you're doing is you're paying into it together and you're taking out together so you basically I can imagine utility bills and all these things go out and you put in as well now the point is the moment that you put it in the understanding generally will be that it'll be shared and mm -hmm. so what you end up having is essentially a situation where you're both donating to a pot. And essentially what you're doing is you're both giving um, gifts to each other, which are shared. Mm -hmm. And the moment, say, say one of them puts in 75% of the wealth roughly and the other person puts in 25. Now you wouldn't say, well, you put 25% and you put 75%, therefore you pay this and you pay that. The moment it goes into a joint account and it's shared and it's not, there's no idea of, um, keeping a check on who's owning what, it becomes shared. It becomes 50-50. And essentially what they will do is they will pay 50-50 individually of what is left. Right. Does that make sense? So yeah. essentially, you know, somebody could, one of them could pay, say for, if you just want to make it as clear as possible, one pays like 1% and the other pays 99. And the point is, okay. that, is that, that is irrelevant now once it's a shared legally bound um, account which is owned by both, can be used by both, can, and um, you know basically is legal ownership for both. When zakat comes around, you basically look at what do you own, and in law you own fifty percent of that. Okay. Is that clear? That is, now, if, yeah. that, if you own fifty percent of that, that means when you calculate your own personal zakat as a as a woman or a man, you you basically calculate it as yourself. Which means one of the things you'll calculate it on is that shared account, which is 50% of what's in there. Don't, and you don't say, well, I only put one pound of that hundred in. Mm -hmm. you, ha you basically legally own half of that, which means you pay half of that. And okay. then you also add in all your other things that are personal to you, such as your jewelry or, you know, mm -hmm. if you've got a business which is separate from your spouse's, then that's separate. Everyone is separate, essentially, in, in terms of like that. 
Okay, Jazakallah We're talking about zakat today with our uh, guest, Sheikh Razan Muhammad. And uh, we've looked at a number of different scenarios. We've looked at the definition of zakat and the bit nisab and uh, specific questions as well. Uh, we've <coughs> talked about um, whether a husband and wife have to pay zakat separately. We've talked about um, how to calculate zakat if you haven't paid it for a number of years and if you have specific items as well in ownership, whether or not you pay zakat on those as well. Um, Sheikh, the question then comes about the date of the zakat. Now, a lot of people choose dates in Ramadan, I'm assuming just to make it easier for themselves to know when the Islamic year uh, comes to a completion. Um, the date itself, can it be changed? Can you go and change the date that you pay your zakat? Um, can that be done? Just to make things easier. Yeah. For so yourself. the reason, yeah, the reason people reserve Ramadan is basically, I think, for the the fact that they remember um, a year's gone, Islamic year's gone by because of the change between the solar and lunar calendars. Mm-hmm. And the other thing people have in the back of their mind is the, the reward for charity. They say is more, but that's not actually the case because because um, zakat is a, is an obligatory um, act to worship. Mm-hmm. Technically, you should you should um, keep it to when a year goes by when you've had that amount of wealth. So that could be in the Islamic month of Dhul Hijjah, it could be the month of Shawwal, it could be the month of um, Rabi Al-Awwal, for example. So technically you'd be obliged to calculate your zakat on that date. So that's one thing, calculating it. So basically that's a date, that's a date that you sit down and you basically make a, a, a kind of note of what you owe. Now you have time to pay that, so you have time to distribute that. You don't distribute it right away, but you have to have a note and calculate um, that that's the amount you have to pay. Um, and technically, you have to pay it before the year ends. And so, you could what you could do is you could wait till there's a specific need that you know will exist in the future. You could pay it then, but generally, you should pay it as, as soon as as soon as soon after you've calculated it as possible. Um, um, so I think that was was that your question? Yeah, just uh, the, the the idea is that there's somebody who. Well, can you change it? Question about changing yeah, so the specific date. Yeah. Right. So changing it is, um, it's not about changing it. It's more about do, you can't delay it. So that's kind of why I've answered the fact that you shouldn't really delay it too much. Mm-hmm. You can you can actually pay early as well. But the point okay. is, you should calculate it. So people need to know that the calculation of it is different and can be separate from the paying of it. So the calculation should be done at the same time every year. Mm-hmm. Um, now, when you give it, you can give it earlier than that. You can give it later than that. I mean, that, that's just based on need. But okay. you, you, can, you could change it. It's um, more that you need to have a good idea of the approximation of what the, 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 the wealth you owe is. Okay. But it's not a big issue in terms of fiqh. If you mm-hmm. say you find it easier just to remember... Um, Muharram, for example, or Ramadan, and um, so it means you, you're moving by about six months of the Islamic calendar. As long as you approximate what you owe for the six months, there's not a big problem with that, to be honest. Okay, Jazakallah khair. You're listening to Sheikh Adwan Muhammad. We're talking about zakat today. Sheikh, we've only got a few minutes left, so there's still a couple of questions that I'd like you to answer. One of them is about inheritance. So when a person mm. inherits, inherits money, um, mm. is the zakat then payable on that money? And also, um, the idea of zakat al-fitr. So zakat al-fitr, does that have to be paid by each individual person or can say a father of a family pay it for everyone in his family? So inheritance yeah, so and the, yeah, fitr. Yeah, so inheritance, um, the issue of inheritance is it's basically a gift, that, similar to a gift that you received, lump sum that you've come into ownership of. You basically, what you do is, most schools, they say that you add that in, and the Hanafi school specifically stipulates this, you add it into whatever you have, and as soon as your nisab date comes in, you pay for the whole amount, everything, your inheritance and the other things that you have. Even if the inheritance, you only got it, say, a day before you're going to calculate, you still incorporate that into your wealth. Okay. Whereas some other schools say that you wait for a whole year over having a possession of the, nisab, of the, of the inheritance after which you pay. Mm-hmm. So most people will be eligible for zakat to be paid and they receive the inheritance, in which case they will then pay it, um, you know, adding it into everything else. If, say, for example, you're poor and you've just come into inheritance, then you wait for a whole year until you pay it. So the other thing is sadaqat al-fitr. Sadaqat al-fitr is obviously the end of Ramadan is what you're paying. 
usually pay it before the prayer of, 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 of Eid. And it's given by the head of the household for the people that the person is responsible for in the household economically. So that's children and that's like a spouse, for example. So that's who you're responsible to take care of and provide for. That's the person that will be paying it. Okay, and it's calculated locally then? It's calculated based upon the, 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 the type of Eid. The Eid al-Fitr is based upon volume of specific um, foodstuffs like date and barley. And usually it's, I mean, in the UK, it's about three, three pounds, roughly four pounds. Depend, I mean, the food prices fluctuate, but it's roughly about three or four pounds. And you still and need to pay it if there's no Eid prayer? Yeah, yeah. So Sadaqat al-Fitr is, um, uh-huh. so that's a good question, isn't it? I'm doing actually a webinar. <laughs> tomorrow on, on COVID and Oh, fantastic. And is yeah, that so going to be on Facebook or will it be? Um... I actually don't know where it is. I was forced into it today. <laughs> okay. So the point is, um, the thing about Sadaqat al-Fitr is related to your fasting. And, it, and it, the, the philosophy of it is it, it, it makes up any shortcomings in your fasting. Right. And so um, it's done so that people who are on the day of Eid, can partake in, and who are afflicted by poverty can can partake in some of the the ease of of the of the David itself specifically. But the reason for it is to making up expiating for misdemeanors or mistakes in fasting. Okay, Jazakallah Khair. Uh, that brings us to the end of the show. Jazakallah Khair, Sheikh, for uh, joining us today on the topic of zakat. Um, okay, and inshallah we'll be back with you again on the Ask the Sheikh program. Um, like I said, runs from Mondays to Thursdays, 6 to 7 p.m. And we'll be taking any questions or points that you have to make uh, over Facebook, Twitter, email. Just send them in to us and we'll make sure that we try and pose them to our next guest. So jazakallah khair for listening for today. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa Thank you for listening to Radio Ramadan 365 podcasts. Make sure to visit our Radio Ramadan website at rr365.co.uk to access all of our podcasts. Stay tuned on our social channels for future content. 